We serve an awesome God. Blessed spring in the spring of 2018, that movie took Hollywood by storm. One of the largest grossing Christian movies of all time. From Hollywood standards, it was a low-budget movie with a simple message that wouldn't resonate, but oh, how Hollywood was wrong. You see, I can only imagine is based on the life story of Bart Millard, the lead singer of the Christian band Mercy Me. The movie takes some artistic license, but it does a pretty good job depicting the reality of Bart Millard and what happened in his life, especially during his childhood and teenage and young adult years leading up to when he wrote that song, which was double platinum, the number one best-selling Christian single of all time, I can only imagine. It has blessed how many millions over the last 20 years, we couldn't even say. But it tells the story of Bart Millard as a young boy, his parents divorced, and he lived most of his childhood years with his dad. And his dad had had an accident at work that's not depicted in the movie. He was a flagger at a construction company, and he was hit by a big rig and was in a coma for eight weeks. Didn't break a single bone in his body, but according to his wife and his family, he was never the same. Bart's dad, Arthur, came out of that accident, came out of that coma, and suddenly he could cuss like a sailor and had a wicked, wicked temper. And so during his childhood, Bart, as he was growing up, his dad could be set off for any and every reason. This wicked temper of his would blow up at any moment over the smallest thing, and Bart was his punching bag. And so during his childhood years, it was common for Bart to be beaten by his own dad at least twice a week. And he would go to bed in fear many nights, not knowing if his dad was going to storm into his bedroom and start punching. But when Bart was a freshman in high school, something changed. In fact, a couple things changed. Bart's dad, first of all, was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. And so Arthur was going to die. And around that same time, Bart's dad, Arthur, gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Arthur had been a monster, according to his son's own words, When Bart was a young boy and he was being beaten, he said his dad was a monster. But when Jesus Christ came into his life, he saw a marked change in his dad. And Bart went from fearing for his life when he would be laying in his own bed at nighttime, not knowing if his dad was going to storm into the bedroom. He went from that to overhearing his dad in the next room praying for him and his brother. Praying that Bart and his brother would be saved. Praying that they would be okay after Arthur died. He was a changed man, and Bart went from fearing for his life to saying that he wanted to be like his dad when he grew up. Well, interestingly, it was on my 18th birthday, November 11th, 1991, that Bart's dad breathed his last and entered eternity. And it was seven years after that, around 1998, that Bart wrote down on a scrap of paper those now famous words. He wrote the lyrics to this song in just about ten minutes. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. As he imagined his dad up there in heaven, completely forgiven and completely healed of his cancer, he continued to write, I can only imagine what my eyes will see When your face is before me, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. 
I can only imagine when that day comes when I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I would do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. I can only imagine surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. As Bart Millard wrote those words to that now famous song, I believe his thoughts were right where Jesus Christ wanted them to be. And those are the same thoughts that he wants you to have if you were a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. We need to be looking up. We need to be looking ahead to that place that God is preparing for us. A beautiful place we call heaven. I want you to take out your Bibles, please, and open to Hebrews chapter 11. Over the past month, we've been in this great chapter. It's called the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. And we've been making our way through that chapter, looking at some of the great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I encourage you to bring it with you next week. In the meantime, grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. I'd like everybody to have a Bible in hand. Sometimes in the past, I've shared with uh, some of our adults, even if the print and the type is too small for you to read, it's a good idea to have a Bible in your hand anyways, because the person next to you may be watching whether or not you think the Word of God is a priority. So it's always a good idea, if you, even if you can't read those words, have it in front of you. So open God's Word, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. If you're sitting near the aisle, there's a stack of those message notes. Uh, it'll have some of the main points from the message. I encourage you, if you're sitting by the aisle, grab one and pass the rest of the stack on down to the others in your row so they can see some of those main points and jot down some notes as well. We're going to be in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13 this morning. As we continue exploring Hebrews 11, we're going to see that the great men and women of faith did not consider this world to be their home. In their views, they were just a passing through. Amen? Remember that old hymn? This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. If heaven ain't my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. No one remembers that song, huh? How about we get clapping here? This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. If heaven ain't my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I... Amen. We are, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and this world is not our permanent address, is it? Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13, this is how it reads. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're a little bit restless this morning. We're a little restless for heaven. 
I pray that you would be with us right now, Lord, because I believe that you knew from the beginning of time that on this day we would be looking at this passage and talking about these things. So, Lord, help us. Sometimes we're so easily distracted. Help us not to be distracted by our cell phones. Help us not to be distracted by what we have to make for dinner tonight or what's going on at work this week or at school this week. Lord, help us not to worry about the fact that we forgot to vacuum our house yesterday. All of these things, Lord, may we push them aside to focus our minds, our hearts, our thoughts on that beautiful place you prepare for those who follow you here. Lord, help us to fix our thoughts on heaven. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, Today, I'm going to focus on heaven. Go ahead. Amen. So over the last few weeks, I've shared this beautiful definition of faith with you. It's a a definition provided by the Bible commentator uh, Warren Wearsby. It's a great definition. He simply says, True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and in spite of consequences. True Bible faith, confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances or consequences. And we've seen that Enoch had this kind of faith. And we've seen that Noah had this kind of faith. And we've seen that Abraham had this kind of faith. And here in Hebrews 11:13 through 16, God's Word makes it clear to us that all of these faith heroes were still living by faith when they died. Verse 13, I think, is such an amazing verse. We're going to spend some time on just that one verse, verse 13 today. This past week, week I read this verse, verse 13, dozens of times. And I read it in a, over a dozen different English translations because I really wanted it to sink in as I was studying God's Word. And I'd like us to read this together. I know in a group this size we have a few different English translations, so we're going to put it on the screen for you so we can all read it together. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 13. Here we go. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Isn't that good? Now, I'd like to put it up in an English translation probably none of you in the room have today. The Living Bible. And I want you to see and, and read along with me how the Living Bible translates this verse. Let's read this together. These men of faith, I have mentioned, died without ever receiving all that God had promised them. But they saw it all awaiting them on ahead and were glad. For they agreed that this earth was not their real home, but that they were just strangers visiting down here. Isn't that good? They agreed that this earth was not their real home, but they were just strangers visiting down here. What a beautiful way to put that verse. Just strangers visiting down here for a little while. They agreed that this world was not their home. I just love how it puts it in that verse. What a beautiful thing. And I want to share with you today three powerful insights about faith when it comes to heaven. Three powerful faith insights, and we'll look at these one at a time. Number one, insight number one. True faith keeps living even as our bodies are dying. True faith keeps living even as our bodies are dying. I couldn't tell you how many times I've read this verse over the years. 
But I'm telling you, this week as I was reading and rereading and rereading again this verse 13, it's like God slapped me upside the head. It's like I was reading it for the very first time. And there were some insights from this verse that somehow I had missed over the years that I've read this verse. It says, all these people, at the top of this verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Did you catch the beautiful little paradox in that statement at the top of this verse? All these people were still living by faith when they died. I think some of you may have missed it. Let me say it again. All these people were still living by faith when they died. That's a paradox. How can something be living as it's dead? How can something be living as it's dying? It's a paradox. But it says every faith hero was still living by faith when he died. How is that possible? How is it possible that true Bible faith can be unfazed by death? How can it be possible for our bodies to die and still have our faith continue to live? It's possible because our faith involves our bodies, but it is not tied to our bodies, is it? Our faith involves our bodies, but it is intricately tied and interwoven with our souls and our spirits. And our soul and our spirit does not die when our bodies die, do they? The Bible is very clear that our bodies die, but our souls and our spirits are eternal. They live forever. And since faith is intricately tied to our soul and spirit, when our bodies die, it doesn't phase our faith. Our faith keeps living. It keeps living. Our soul and spirit live on, and so too does our faith in death. So Christians, when you choose to walk in faith, you're not choosing a short-term walk, are you? Some might say, okay, I can walk by faith for the rest of my life. Some might say, hey, I'm 70. I don't have that many years left. I've got more years behind me than I have in front of me. Yeah, I can walk by faith for a few years. And God's Word says, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. You don't walk by faith for a few years. You walk by faith forever. And when you die and your body dies, you keep walking by faith because your soul and spirit still live on in God's presence. And so it's a forever walk. True faith lives on regardless of whether your physical body is alive or dead, regardless of whether you're here on earth or with Christ there in heaven. True Bible faith keeps living even as our bodies are dying. That's the first insight from that first sentence in verse 13. Now, the middle part of verse 13 gives us our second insight, which is this. True faith sees and welcomes God's fulfilled promises, catch this, even when His fulfilled promises haven't been seen or fulfilled yet. Isn't that great? True Bible faith sees and welcomes God's fulfilled promises, even when His fulfilled promises haven't been seen or fulfilled yet. That's just a reality with faith. As you look at the middle part of that verse, it says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a, from a distance. Isn't that awesome? They didn't see them with their own eyes. They didn't experience them during their lifetimes. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So think about it. God promised Abraham and his family that they would receive that promised land of Palestine, right? Did Abraham ever get to enjoy that promised land? No, he died before they took possession of it, right? 
Fast forward a few centuries to Moses. Moses was given that beautiful promise that he would be allowed to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into that promised land flowing with milk and honey. He died before he ever stepped foot in the promised land, didn't he? Moses didn't get to experience it. He didn't get to live in it. He welcomed it from a distance. What about King David? King David had it on his heart to build a glorious temple for Yahweh right there in Jerusalem, which was nicknamed the City of David. And so there he is in the city named after him, the City of David, Jerusalem. He had this dream to build a temple, and he died before he was ever able to even break ground on that temple. God said, no, it's not for you. Your son will build it. So he only welcomed it from a distance. You look at these faith heroes, whether it's Abraham, uh, whether it's Moses, whether it's David or many others in Old Testament times, they never lived to see the day that the promise was fulfilled. They never lived to see the day where they were able to enjoy the fulfillment of that promise. But they held on in faith to that promise anyway, didn't they? They were unfazed by the fact that they wouldn't get to see it or personally experience it. As the world looks at these men of faith, it might say that their faith was in vain. The world might look at Moses or Abraham or David and say their faith was a loss. It was a complete waste of their time. Oh, but my friends, in this world they might consider it a waste, but I'm telling you, when you have your faith in the promises of God, whether you see them or not during your lifetime, your faith in God's promises is never a waste. Your faith in God's promise is never a loss. Oh, when we have faith in God's promises, He will make sure that those promises are fulfilled, even if it's not during your own lifetime. Please hear me loud and clear on this. This is a bit of a mouthful, but I think it's so important. If you only live for what you yourself can see and experience, when your body dies, your impact on this world will die as well. But if you live by faith, your influence and impact in this world will carry on long after your body is in the grave. Let that sink in for just a moment. In fact, let's read that together. If you only live for what you yourself can see and experience, when your body dies, your impact on this world will also die. But if you live by faith, your influence and impact in this world will carry on long after your body is in the grave. Oh, this little insight is so important for parents. It's so important for grandparents. And teenagers, it's pretty important for you guys too. Because pretty soon you guys are going to be out of your school. And you're going to move on. And you'll probably, most of you, never return to that campus. But does the impact that you carried on that campus live on? Every job that you have in this life is a temporary job. Well, I've got 30 years of my job. It doesn't matter. It's still temporary, isn't it? Sooner or later, you'll walk out the door and you won't come back. Are you leaving a legacy in that workplace, adults? All of us who are parents will one day have our kids walk out the door. It may not be till they're 45, but eventually they'll leave. What kind of impact and legacy have we left with our kids? I love to share the story of George Mueller. Those of you who have been a part of our church for a long time have heard me talk about this faith hero before. George Mueller was a wonderful, right Chris? He was a wonderful, awesome servant of God in the 1800s. And he did something that was pretty cool. He decided to start orphanages in England. And he decided he was going to pay all the bills for all of these orphanages and buy all the meals and take care of all the clothes and all the orphans' needs without asking a single person for a single shilling. 
He was just going to go to God in prayer with all those needs and trust God to meet all those needs for the orphans. And so he did this year after year, and, and you can read several books on George Mueller. It's just awesome to read these testimonies. Let me share a couple quick ones with you. One I just heard this last week. There was one night he was in his bedroom, and his wife basically comes running into the bedroom, and she's concerned. She says, George, we have to give these kids breakfast in the morning, and we've got oatmeal, but we have no milk. And not only that, we don't have any money to go buy any milk. These kids won't be able to have breakfast in the morning. And so George did what he did hundreds of times. He said, let's pray. And so they pray, God, would you provide some milk for the orphans because we need milk for breakfast in the morning. Amen. Right after the amen, there's a knock at the door of the orphanage. They go to the door, and there's a guy standing there with a check written in the perfect amount to buy milk for breakfast. And over the next few minutes, a couple more checks came in to buy more food for the meals to follow. One of my favorite stories of Mueller being a man of faith was there was one time he was gathered around the dinner table because it was dinner time, but there was one small problem. There was no food. But it was dinner time, and it was time to pray for that meal, so they weren't going to miss that time of prayer. So just like they always would, they gathered around the dinner table, and they prayed for that meal that was completely absent, trusting that God would provide food for them. And they finished praying for that meal, and they said amen. And once again, there was a knock at the door. This time, it was the local bread delivery guy. He said, hey, I've got a surplus of bread today. Any chance you guys could use some extra free bread? You know what? We just could. Why don't you bring it on in, fella? And the orphans got to eat that night. This happened day after day and week after week. He was a man of prayer. When he was 90 years old, he died at the age of 92. But when he was about 90 years old, George Mueller was interviewed by a reporter. And their reporter knew that he was a man of prayer and a man of faith. And that reporter asked him this question. He said, has there ever been a time when you prayed and God did not answer your prayer? And George Mueller, I'm told, straightened up in his chair. And with a stern look on his face, he said, never. God has answered every one of my prayers. However, I have a friend who has a son that I've been praying for his salvation for over 50 years. And he's not saved yet, but he will be. About two years later, George Mueller died. And as George Mueller's casket was being lowered into the ground, that man was there. And as George Mueller's casket was being lowered, this man dropped to his knees and gave his life to Jesus Christ. George Mueller, amen. George Mueller never got to see with his own eyes that man dropped to his knees. He never got to hear with his own ears that man confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But he took hold of it from a distance and he believed it just as if, as if he was able to personally experience it during his lifetime. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of man of faith that inspires me to live in faith as well. Oh, what a blessing to take hold of what we don't personally see or experience because faith is even more powerful than our five senses. Christians, you might not ever see with your own eyes some of God's promises come to pass, but believe them and hold on to God's promises anyway. Believe that as you train up your child in the way he should go, parents, that even if you don't see it with your own eyes, you hold on to the promise from God's Word that when that child is old, he or she will not depart from it. I know some of you have heavy hearts because your kids aren't in church. 
Many of you have kids that are not following the Lord. And so you pray for them over and over and over and nothing seems to change. Parents, don't let up. Keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your grandkids. And if even if you never see the results this side of heaven, you claim those results just the same because God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Believe that God will hear and answer your prayers in His perfect timing, regardless of whether or not you see His answer to your prayer today or even tomorrow. Believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against, his, against Christ's church. He said He was going to build His church, and you can take that to the bank. He's going to keep building His church. Believe that Jesus will come back one day to resurrect every Christian who has died in Christ. Believe that He will come back one day to rapture every Christian who is still alive. And you may die before the rapture happens, but you believe it and take hold of it just the same. Because He said it's going to happen, and you can believe it's going to happen, whether or not you get to see it with your own eyes. Believe it, church. Believe it. Believe it regardless of whether or not you see it, regardless of whether or not you ever see it, this side of death. That's what makes faith so powerful. It makes faith so powerful. I don't need to see it to know it. I don't need to hear it to know it. I don't need to be experiencing it to know it. I don't need to be alive to know it. Because God said it and that's good enough for me. It's going to happen in His perfect timing. True faith sees and welcomes God's fulfilled promises even when His fulfilled promises haven't been seen or fulfilled yet. And then the third great insight from verse 13, true faith admits that we are strangers and temporary residents on earth. Our true home is in heaven. Amen? Our true home is in heaven. My favorite part of Hebrews 11.13 is this final part. In fact, I liked it so well, I did look at it in about 12 different English translations. And I found some wonderful insights from those different translations of this last sentence in verse 13. Now, how many of you, let me ask you, are believers and followers of Jesus Christ? Just raise your hand real quickly. Okay, I'll give you another second if your hand's a little slow getting up. How many of you are believers and followers of Jesus Christ? That's, that's awesome. Well, did you know that you're an alien here on earth if you just raised your hand? Okay, yeah, you're an alien here on earth. Now, you may not have green skin. Uh, you may not have those big old black eyes and those antenna coming out of your head, but you're an alien just the same. This is not your home planet, is it? You're just a passing through. Heaven is your home planet. You're just a temporary resident here on earth. Turn to the person next to you and say, you know what? You're just a temporary resident here on earth. Go ahead. So as I was reading this last sentence in 12 different translations this last week, I love how some of the different English translations translate these words in the last part of verse 13. The NIV, the newer updated NIV, and the new revised standards say it this way. We are foreigners and strangers on earth. The Holman Christian Standard says we are foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. The New American Standard in the ESV says we are strangers and exiles on the earth. The King James and the New King Jimmy say, we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I like that word pilgrims because pilgrims are on a journey, right? The New Century Version says, we are visitors and strangers on earth. You get the idea, don't you? All wonderful words to describe the reality conveyed to us in this great verse. 
If you are a faith-walking believer and follower of Jesus Christ here on earth, you are an alien. You are a visitor. You are a foreigner. You are a pilgrim on a journey. You're a temporary resident, and you are really, really strange. Hate to break it to you. You're really strange. That's what it means to be a stranger, right? You're strange. If you're a Christian, if you raised your hand a minute ago, I'm going to break it to you right now. You're a strange, strange, odd, odd person. You stick out in this world like Shaquille O'Neal in Munchkinland. You guys stick out like LeBron James in a Mormon family reunion. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you stick out like a sore thumb, don't you? The Word of God makes it clear that you are a stranger here on this earth, and when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ walking by faith, the way you think is different than the world. It's strange. The way that you act is different than the world. The way you act is strange. The way you make priorities is strange. The way you prioritize things is really, really odd. The way you spend your free time, especially on a Sunday morning, is strange to the world. So the way you act, the way you speak, the way you think, the way you prioritize, the way you spend your money is strange. The way you give generously is strange. These are all strange oddities to our world. Our perspective is different. Our dreams and goals are different. The way we handle stress is different. The way we handle tragedy is different. The way we handle success and even the way we handle failure is different. And certainly the way we handle death is different. If we are strangers here in this world, there's no doubt about it. You are a really, really strange person. If you follow Jesus Christ, you are one odd duck. You want to tell that person next to you, don't you? Go ahead and tell them you're one odd duck. If you prefer, you can tell them they're a space cadet. That's okay, too. You don't fit in this world very well because this world is not your home. Frankly, you'd be much, much happier in your homeland, wouldn't you? You'd be much happier in your homeland. You'd be much happier back in that place that God is preparing for His followers. And that's exactly what we read in verses 14 through 16 here in Hebrews 11. Starting in verse 14, it says, People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Amen? Let me ask you, do you long for heaven? Do you desire to be in heaven? Anyone? You desire to be in heaven? Now, that doesn't mean you're suicidal. It simply means that you recognize in faith that this is not your long-term address. This is not your true home. It means that God has placed a longing in your heart and in your spirit to go home, to be with Him, which is so much better than this place here on earth. Once again, you're just a passing through. It's only natural you'd like to go home. You want to go home. I, I bet a smile comes to your face when you hear Jesus say in John fifteen nineteen, You do not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of the world. 
I bet your heart celebrates just a little bit when you hear Jesus say in John 17, 16, you are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I bet you get a little bit homesick when you hear Jesus say, I love these verses in John 14, 2 and 3, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Doesn't that make your heart just a a dance just a little bit? That he's preparing mansions in glory? Doesn't it just make you celebrate to know that what it says in Revelation chapter 21 in the second to last chapter of the Bible? In fact, I want you to see it for yourself. Turning your Bibles there to Revelation 21, the second to last chapter in the New Testament. In Revelation 21, Jesus' apostle John is given a beautiful snapshot of what heaven is going to be like. And Jesus said, I want you to write this down because you can take these words to the bank and I don't want anyone to miss what I am sharing with you, John. And so in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Then my favorite verse in this stretch. Verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write these down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. I will be his God and he will be my son. What an awesome thing. I can't wait for heaven. I can't wait. But alas... I have to wait. Some of you might say, I can't wait either. But you have to wait as well. We dare not go to heaven a moment sooner than God calls us home. We are here for a reason. Your heart is still beating for a reason. Your lungs are still processing oxygen for a reason. Some of you are here today and you're not in good health. And you've been discouraged, and you've been depressed, and you've wondered at times, why am I even here, God? You are here because He is not through with you yet. And we look for ourselves, you know, it'd be a lot better right now for Dane if I was in heaven, because it's going to be awesome. It would be better for me if I was in heaven. But I'm not in heaven right now because God has an important work for me to do here. And the same goes for you. God has work for us to do, so we dare not go to heaven even a second sooner than God calls us home. He's our master, and He has placed us here at this time and at this place for a reason. There are so many lost people who need to be reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if I am just thinking of my own life here in this room today, I look at my own life and like Paul in Philippians 1, I would say, well, shoot, much better for Dane for me to be in heaven right now. But God reminds me it's not about me. It's about you and them. So what's good for Dane is not necessarily good for you. 
because there's still work for me to do in this church. Some are coming on a Sunday and they have not yet given their life to Jesus Christ. And God says to me, Dane, I want you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who still know me because if they died today, they would not go to heaven. And God makes it clear that there are some young Christians in this church that I still have work to do. I have to disciple those young Christians. There's still a church for me to help mobilize and rally together to do something much greater than we've ever done in the past as a church. And God is here reminding me, Dane, remind my people that outside those windows are thousands of people who are dying without Jesus Christ. Thousands of people who are lost and can be reached by this church that has been strategically placed in this school, at this location, this key intersection in Victorville, that has some 120,000 plus people living just in this individual city, not to even mention the other 280,000 or so living in the rest of the Victor Valley. God has placed us here for a reason. And so sure, it might be better for me to go to heaven. Sure, it might be better for you to go to heaven. But you and I are here because our job is not over. We have work to do. So we dare not stop working until God calls us home. If our lives were just about us, we should have gone to heaven long ago. But it's not just about us. Since our lives are about loving and serving others, we must continue loving and serving them in faith. I think Paul says it so well there in Philippians 1. We're going to put it on the screen for you. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says these wonderful words. I think we've got that next one, the last slide, DJ. He says in verses 23 through 25, as one of my typos, it should be in Philippians 1, not Philippians 2. He says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Can I get an amen? amen? Today, God wants us to focus on heaven. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by his side. But in the meantime, I know it's more important for me that I be here to lead my family well. He's placed me here to love and serve my wife, to love and lead and serve my four daughters, to love and lead and serve you, and to be a part of making the greatest impact in this valley that our church has ever made. And I dare say he's got the same mission for you. You keep on pouring into those God puts in your path and pointing them to Jesus Christ. And at the same time, it's okay to be a little homesick because one day he will call us home. And it'll be such a blessing and such an honor and such a joy to be with our Lord forever and ever at our true permanent address. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for preparing a place for us a place, Lord, where there is no more sorrow and no more pain and no more dying and no more heartache. Lord, it's a blessing for me to think that in heaven there's no more cancer and there's no more terminal illness and there's no more hospital beds and there's no more wheelchairs and no more crutches. There's no more depression, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more Walmart. Thank you, Lord, for preparing that place for us. You are an awesome God. And I pray, O oh God, for those that may be here today 
who have never made that decision to accept you as Lord and Savior, that they would do so today. In Jesus' name, amen.